Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 255. We've got a very exciting show lined up for you today. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, have a fun Did You Know, a really good listener question, a Paige's Power Play, and of course the DR3 Fast Pitch Corner. In our lead-off segment, we're going to talk about uh, helping players prepare for college visits. Uh, I came across a really interesting checklist that I think is a really good idea for players and teams to be thinking about something along those lines to help with the process. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about something that is definitely a a question for all the families that have aspirations of playing in college, and that is the idea of quote-unquote majoring in softball. I saw a really good Facebook post about that. wanted to talk about that idea because there's some situations for many of our listeners, it's kind of a shocker to find out that certain schools that you might choose to play softball at aren't going to allow you to study certain different academic areas because of the conflicts with the softball program. And of course, we're going to wrap up with our Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. So before we get into all those fun topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And again, make sure you take advantage of that EFP20 discount, whether it's a bat, glove, any of the stuff on the Anderson website. When you make that uh, purchase, you use that EFP20. It's going to save you an additional 20% and help support everything fast pitch at the same time. Also, we're looking for more patrons. If you're in a position where you can afford to help us, go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. 2022 was a good year. We added some sponsors added a bunch of patrons. Uh, We are on the verge of actually being a break-even operation, but we need some more people to come on board as patrons. The good news is that 2022 was optimistic and encouraging enough that we've been able to keep the wheels spinning, Um, but the the reality of it is we're still coming up in the red every month. So if you're in a position where you can help us, if you see value in what we're doing, please go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Go through the steps. It'll take you through all the things that you need to do. And Coach Don, I really do appreciate our patrons, the support that we've gotten to this point. I know that had uh, some hardcore people that have been with us for a long time, and we certainly really do appreciate them. Uh, but we're hoping that a few more people can come on board and help support the podcast as we move forward. So Don, our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bidinger and Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. If you're in that area, if you have any dental needs at all, contact the folks at Bidinger and Styles. They are longtime supporters of the podcast. And we would certainly love for you, if you have any uh, needs in that area, to check them out. Uh, go find them. Go and find yep. them and, and let yep. them know that you're part of the Everything Fast Pitch family as well. So, Don, our city of the week this week is Great Falls, Virginia. Well, when you said Great Falls, Virginia, I was thinking Great Falls, Montana. Yeah, and, yeah that was yeah. close to home. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing there's a few Great Falls uh, Plenty of around great the falls, country. Yeah. You know, I've always been kind of curious. I think that there's certain town names or city names that might be in all 50 states. How many, right? You know, and, uh, I don't know that every state has a Great Falls because I'm thinking of places like Arizona and you know some not of these of really dry there, places right? that uh, might not have a whole lot of waterfalls. 
But uh, Great Falls, Virginia, obviously the state of Virginia has got a lot of great softball. Um, some really strong travel ball teams historically. Tons and, of history and, there, yeah, yeah for fast uh, pitch. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, exciting to see the numbers jumping. If you know somebody that's a fast pitch fan that isn't listening yet, get them on board. Get them to listen to everything fast pitch and coach prep. It's available on all the podcast servers. It's very easy to find, whether it's iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, you know, the podcast app, Stitcher. Um, you can find us everywhere. And so we would love for the numbers to continue to grow. And obviously the fact that people are spreading the word, the word of mouth has been very strong. Our numbers do continue to grow, but it's always exciting for us to see the numbers take a big jump someplace. So we want to say thanks to Great Falls. So Stan tells us there's really only four Great Falls. So I guess in my theory that every state has one is probably pretty accurate. We want to definitely say th- you know, thanks to the folks at Great Falls and, and you know, seeing the numbers jump was very encouraging. So hopefully we can see that happening someplace else next week. Don, our player of the week this week is Zoe Miller. Uh, she plays for the Velocity 14 and under travel team out of Lebanon, Pennsylvania. She's been on the team for a couple of years. She's one of those really hardworking, really dedicated kids. She's one of those that's you know the first one there. She's helping set up the stations, helping Love pick it. up the equipment, yeah. all that kind of stuff. She's also involved with a lot of younger athletes in her area, um, you know, working at some different camps and clinics and helping with team practices and things like that. But she's also had an, has one of those uh, stories of overcoming some adversity. Had some heart problems in her in her young age, so it's shocking to me having had a couple of heart attacks as an old man. You know, seeing young people having you know, any s- kind of issue, struggling with yeah. anything with their heart is is a little bit scary. But it looks like she's done a great job of working through that and overcoming it, and and obviously carving herself out a really strong niche in the fast pitch world and and doing a great job with her team. Um, they've had some you know success on the field, but it's definitely. You know, clear that uh, Coach Mark wanted us to know about what a great kid Zoe is, how hardworking she is, how dedicated she is, and how she's you know overcome some uh, adversity to get to this point where she's having a great softball career. So uh, it's just an exciting thing, and we want to say congratulations to Zoe, uh, Zoe Miller. You're the fast pitch prep player of the week. Chloe, keep it up. Yep. Yeah, please make a point of nominating somebody you know. As we say every week, um, it's important to us that we get to recognize players as many players as possible from all over. And there's kids doing great things all over. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's always exciting to us when we get a chance to recognize somebody from someplace far away. It's meaningful to me because it's it's uh, an opportunity for them to get some recognition. You know, thousands of people listen to this podcast every week. I don't know how many of those people know Zoe personally, but I think all of us hearing that story, knowing that she's overcome what she's overcome and that she's the type of person and type of teammate that she Working is, and, yep. is encouraging and it's exciting and it's setting a good example. And so and we just really do appreciate that. And as always, we want all of our listeners, because you all know somebody who deserves recognition. So make sure you send us an email at either everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses. It doesn't have to be you know chapter and verse of that player's entire life story. You know, most of the nominations we get are two or three sentences, and that's enough to you know to make the point and, and let us know what we need to know about that player. So make sure you send those Player of the Week nominations in. Don, our equipment tip of the week. Let's talk about our Square Cuts training disc. Tori, as always, we've uh, we've had a bunch of discs uh, going out here lately, so people are catching on, and um, I can't stress enough that uh, I'd love for everybody to try them. They give you great feedback. We've got uh, situations where we hit here at the cage and. You know, if we hit a real softball, it sounds like you're hitting it well every time you strike it. But when you actually put the discs on the tee and hit them, they give you a real uh, 
much stronger sense of whether or not you're hitting it square or not. Right. And they tell on you, if you hit it square, it sails wonderfully. If you're off at all, it's going to tell on you and it's going to give you that feedback that you need to be a little bit more precise. Right. Yep. Well, and the reason that uh, we came up with the square cuts training discs is the whole idea of squaring the ball up is something that is such a challenging concept, even for veteran people that have been around the game for a long time. Even when it sounded like I hit it right. Great. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that we know is that there's a big difference between actually squaring the ball up, having the barrel of the bat actually going you know, square through the face of the flight of the ball versus pretty close to that. And where the square cuts training disc is so valuable is it tells you for sure if you're square or not. If you're 95% square, the disc is going to fly funny. It's going to tell you every single time. And for players that are striving and working hard at this game, trying to become the very best version of themselves that they can, settling for 80 or 85 or 90% of the power you're creating actually going into the ball seems really, really foolhardy to me. I was going to say yeah. you're selling yourself short. Right. But the first time you use it, it's it's going to be a little bit of an eye-opener because you know the square cuts is going to tell on you. And for a lot of kids that are confident and sure that they're hitting the ball really well every time, they start to see that they're, they are hitting it well, but they're not hitting it 100%. It's foolproof. It's absolutely you know the kind of a, a tool that you can use in your home training because it's you don't need a coach standing there watching you to tell you whether you're doing something right or not. Every time you hit the disc, the way it flies off the tee is going to tell you whether you did or not. And Tori, it's a good value, right? I mean, they're affordable, yep. they're durable, and it's just a very good value. Yeah, so if you're interested in getting some of your own, which is something that Coach Don and I firmly believe every player should have a dozen at the house that you're hitting on a regular basis, and every team should have a couple of dozen so you can have that gift, you know, gift station. Them, gift them to a coach. Uh, to, you, yep. to use at practice. They're forty nine ninety five a dozen. They hold up great. I know I've got some that are several years old now in my cage that have been hit thousands of times that uh, you know still have plenty of life left in them. Um, you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, forty nine ninety five a dozen. The link is on the front page of the website. Get them ordered up, and we'll get them sent to you right away. And uh, Coach Don and I are very proud of the Square Cuts training discs. We want to make sure that everybody gets set. So, Don, did you know um, we're a couple weeks into the uh, Division One season now? I've spent some time watching some of the Clearwater Invitational games uh, on TV this weekend. We're recording Sunday Ton, afternoon. Tons of good games. Yeah, right? there, there was a bunch of good ones. And what I want to do is just kind of talk about uh, the early reports on the preseason top twenty-five. You know, we uh, had Justin McLeod on a while back, and uh, he uh, basically laid out who he thought the top teams were. And what I can say now is, a couple of weeks in, obviously it's still early, but. His prediction and uh, what a lot of people have been thinking about this year appear to be Close. matching up. They've yeah. been early on, Oklahoma, UCLA are clearly dominant teams that are um, not winning every game by a ton, but they keep winning and, and finding ways to win. Very impressive. But you've got a bunch of other teams that have made really good first impressions early in the year. Florida, uh, Oklahoma State, Clemson. You know, Florida State lost a couple of games at the uh, Clearwater but looked really strong and like they're going to be a national championship contender. But as always, it seems like it's a, a lot of the same people over and over again, just in different uh, sequences and different orders in the poll. But one thing I wanted to talk about in uh, retrospect, having watched a couple of these games, something that I noticed this year more than I think I have in the last few years of watching college softball is we're talking about the second weekend of the college season and the intensity and the passion and the commitment that these teams are showing yeah. this early in the year, it is so exciting to see. 
you know, watching uh, uh, UCLA earlier today, you know, to see a player make a mistake and then have a chance to come back and redeem herself later in the game and get a big, you know, game tying and then ultimately scoring the game winning run is just such an exciting thing to see and such a fun thing to experience. And it's one of those things that, you know, we, we talk about these college programs all the time. And I think what ends up happening is in our mind, we kind of flip a switch and we start to think of them as they're like professional, super you know, human, never going to make a mistake kinds Flawless. of players. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they are really, really good at this game, but they're still human beings. They still make mistakes. They still pop up when the bases are loaded. They still have stuff like that happen. But the one thing that has really rung very, very true so far watching the games that I've seen is how much these kids really care about this game, how hard they're playing, how hard they're working, and just how much they love what they're doing. It's a very fun thing to see and, and certainly something that I'm hoping you know, when our listeners are watching these games, when they get a chance to go and see these college kids play, certainly it's fun to watch somebody who's really good at something do it. These players are very special that you're that you're talking about, and part of what makes them special is that they don't let up, they don't quit, they don't let a bad event affect the rest of the game or the day or the weekend, and they are as close to professional at what they're doing as kind of we have, right? And they're, I think they're very close to that next step, right? But I think the one thing that I I couldn't help but noticing is watching these teams to see these players so committed, so passionate, you know, that it really does mean something to it. It hurts them when it doesn't go their way and and they are just to be that invested in it is something i was a little bit nervous about because honestly one of the biggest reasons why i've despised the ease of transferring and the transfer portal is you know i think that it's very hard for me to picture somebody who just bops in for one last year of their softball career that you know is brand new to a situation brand new to a program being so committed and so bought in and those even those players are the ones that I'm seeing that you know absolutely Contribute. do or die, yeah. give it all you've got, no you know leave no stone unturned kind of attitude. And it's just it's been it's been a lot of fun to see. So for all of our listeners, we love the college game because it is, as Don said, a chance for us to see this you know some really special players doing special things. But whatever level of college player you get to see, you know, they're special also. And so you know, if we're watching. You know the local junior college or NAIA team or Division three team play. You know some of those players might not be as characteristics. Yeah, yeah. might not be as uh, amazingly athletic or or yeah. big and strong as some of the you know UCLA or Oklahoma kids might be, but they still are passionate and the hardworking and, the fight, and you know, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. And so it, it was a lot of fun to see. So did you know the NCAA top twenty five? Um, it's still yet to be determined, but there's a couple of teams at the top that look pretty darn strong. But I think there's a few more contenders and a few more teams that have a chance to make some noise at the end of the year than maybe we thought at the very beginning. Tori, on that note, some of these ball games are really, really close. Yeah, they're just exciting one-run games, last-inning walk-offs. With, and, well, with teams though that maybe hadn't had as many mentions and and we hadn't really thought that much of. And in my mind, I'm just thinking that there's just that many more really good, strong softball players out there right. that are going and playing in college and putting forth great efforts to continue to, to believe in it and, and have a chance to beat some of these teams. Right. And it, it's going to happen, I think, and I'm super excited about that. So even if tons of great players are being uh, drawn to specific schools and programs, I think that uh, it's just exciting to see you know, them being pushed. Yeah, and when uh, they had uh, Carol Hutchins on one of the uh, broadcasts, I had a chance to listen to her um, a little bit, and one of the things that she kept talking about is 
that there's great players all over the country now. Yeah. And so you still have teams that are doing a really good job of pulling selecting and yeah. pulling a few of them into their programs, but there's an awful lot of schools that have really talented kids. And so the fact that uh, you're going to see some upsets, and we've seen a bunch of upsets early in this year, we've seen a couple of near misses where you know Oklahoma and UCLA had to you know fight from behind and, and kind of you know, pull, pull one out together. at the end of a game kind of a situation. So it's just a really cool thing. Um, so did you know there's a couple of really strong teams, but a whole lot of teams that are going to contend. And I think as this college season unfolds, we're going to keep talking about how much amazing softball we're getting to see and how much fun it is. Tons of fun, yep. On our listener question this week, we've got a quick response to one thing we've talked about in the past, and then and then we'll get into our question. So okay. uh, yep. we, we spent a little bit of extra time talking about the... Uh, left-handed players, left-handed sure. catchers last week. And I had two different people basically say that we should just stop talking about it because it's not an issue. What, <laughs> what are we wasting time on the podcast talking about this when there's no way in the world that anybody could still think that, that a left-handed player can't play whatever position they want. And I wanted us to just give a quick little response to that because I responded via email to both of the, the people that, that or made that statement. Uh, the reason we talk about it is because it keeps coming up. Sure. If if nobody ever came to us and said, "Hey, my daughter's a left-handed catcher and she's really getting should you know, she the short end away? of it," should yeah. she you know you know spend her time learning to be an outfielder because her coach doesn't think she can catch as as a lefty or play? They've already got a first baseman, right? Yep. Right. And so so the reason we talk about it is because we know for sure that it is still an issue. And the thing that I wanted to make sure that we kind of throw in there is. I do believe that the vast majority of like college level coaches now have gotten past it. I think that you know there's still going to be that occasional person who is still so traditional in their thinking that they might have a hard time seeing a lefty playing some of these positions. But I think where it still really is an issue is more in the rec level, um, travel ball level, high school level, even where you've got a lot of people that are coaching that have a really strong baseball specific background. And that's what I was about to say too. We have tons of dads that played ball with that background that may not have as much of an open mind to that left-handed position at, at the right. catcher. Yeah. yeah. And so we wanted to just make sure that everybody understands that the reason we keep talking about it is because it keeps coming up and it might not affect your daughter or your team because you know your situation might have a uh, you know, an open-minded coach that doesn't see it as an issue, but we know for sure that there's still times and places and issues where it's, where it is a problem for players. We're going to keep beating the drum until it really doesn't ever get asked again. Sure. All right. So that's going to just a quick little retort to that one. As, as everybody can tell, whenever we get emails um, that are very specifically uh, asking questions about stuff that we talked about, we're going to try to share that because I think if one or two people care enough that they're emailing us, there's probably 20 or 30 that are listening that are having similar thoughts. So I just wanted to make sure we threw that out there. So the question this week comes to us from Aaron, and Aaron uh, is trying to help his daughter and players on their team figure out which camps to go to. They're at that age now where they're getting all kinds of invitations, and he wanted us to give some thoughts on how do you decide what's a good college camp or what's a good softball camp to go to um, for different players for different reasons. And I think, Tori, uh, over time, we've kind of mentioned this a little bit about uh, what our what our desire, what our need is. Are we going there uh, specifically because that's a school of interest for us recruitment-wise? Or if we're going to a camp where we want to learn some new skills and, you know, get more comfortable in that environment in a, in a group setting where, you know, we don't really know the people around us and we're listening to coaches that we haven't heard before. Right. So it kind of depends on on what our need and interest is in that camp, right? Right. Well, and a couple of things I wanted to throw out there because 
Thought number one, if anybody is going to a camp thinking that the people that are running camps are doing it out of the goodness of their heart because they have no financial motivation or they're not you know, making any kind of a, a income or whatever it is from doing those. You're saying um, it's a business. It, it's definitely got a business aspect to it. Yeah. Now, some camps are have a feel of being much more financially motivated than others. The bottom line is, whether a camp's expensive or inexpensive, the reason that most schools do camps, the reason that that all the professional people who run camps run camps, is they're trying to fill a need, but they're also trying to provide a service, service, but also get paid for that service. There is no hard and fast thing that says, well, if you go to a certain camp and it's $500 for three days, that means it's going to be better than a camp that's $50 for three days. Right. You know, the $50 camp might be amazing. The $500 camp might feel like it's not. So the cost is one thing that, you know, I think you have to do an awful lot as a potential customer trying to decide what it is that that is actually going to be included, what exactly it is that you're getting for the investment that you're making. You might spend $50 going to a camp and think you might as well just lit that money on fire because it was a total waste and you got nothing out of it. And you might go to a $500 camp and think, I'd, I'd spent 10 times this if I had to to have the to same experience again, for my sure. kids. So the cost part of it is something that we have to make sure we're putting yeah. in a proper perspective in this discussion. But the reality of it is most people who are running camps, whether it's to supplement a coach's income or to you know create a business running camps you know there there's always going to be that aspect of it now the one thing i will say is for most people if they're doing camps over years and years and years the reason that they're doing it for so long is that a lot of people see some value in what they're doing sure and so there is a little bit of a track record component to that so but i think don what what you were touching on before is really important is a lot of this whether a camp makes sense for a player or not depends very specifically on what that player and her parents are trying to get out of that camp. So if my goal is I want to go to a specific school to play college softball. You need to be seen there. Then going to those camps has value in the realm of recruiting. If you're going to a camp specifically because you know the coach at that school or that runs that camp is a really knowledgeable hitting coach or pitching coach or you know defensive specialist or whatever yeah. it is, that that could give you certain you know an edge motivations yeah. on, on why you want to go, you know the whole idea of are there things that you should be able to look at and know for sure whether you're going to get your money's worth or not I think is unfortunately not that simple. Full disclosure: I ran a camp for about twenty years that started off with about twelve kids attending. That when we stopped doing it, we were getting three hundred plus kids. And the years that we had three hundred plus kids every single year, I thought it was a great camp. I thought that players had. A great opportunity. I think they got a lot of work in, and you know it was not very expensive, but it was something that I was really proud of because even though we had a very large camp, I felt like it was a, a good investment for people to take their time to come to it. Tori, everybody that went to that camp talked about for weeks after how much they enjoyed it, right? And, and what a value and and how different and exciting it right. was. Right, but I think the reason yeah. I wanted to throw that in yeah. there is because what I hear often is. Well, there were 300 kids at that camp. How could you possibly get anything nobody, out of it? Nobody would have seen me and right. so well, forth. Yeah. yeah. Now, if there's 300 kids at a camp, it's true that you could fall through the cracks and, and yep. have a terrible experience. But again, that's where the, you know, doing as much research as you can, as much uh, word of mouth, you know, talking to people that have gone in the past, talking to the, you know, people that uh, have some experience with it, I think is really important, especially for younger people that are coming through the ranks now. 
Now, there's a lot of older players that you might know. There's a lot of parents that have gone through this before. It can be a really good source of information about whether you know the time they spent and the money they spent to go to Camp X really felt like it was a good investment or not. Yeah, no, I think that even just the event itself, Tori, I mean, if you're going, if you're a softball person and you're going and doing softball drills and skills and um, listen to people talk about philosophies for softball, um, if you take a teammate or a, a friend to go with you, I think it's just a great event to go and be a part of. But again, as you said before, what is our intent? What what are we looking to get from it? And, you know, as a coach, I can remember seeing some kids at camp and thinking to myself, wow, what a fantastic player. We're going to have to keep up with her. Right. I want to know where she's playing, you know, the rest of this summer because she's got some skills and she could really plug into our program and do well. It was someone unbeknown to us already, right? right? So I think there's a lot of value in camps and clinics and, and to what you're saying about the cost, there's going to be cost, and it, it's just relative to what you're looking to get from right. it and, and the timing spent. So what I, what I would tell Aaron and anybody else that's in this position is, you know, this is very much one of those, uh, you know, do your research, you know, buyer beware, you know, be as um, aware as you possibly can going into it kind of a situation. If, if people are saying, hey, wow, that was, that's been a fantastic camp over the years. Right. Sure. And the other part of it is we've have alluded to is also making sure that we're somebody's got to be the realistic person in the room. And so if you're contemplating or you have a player contemplating going to a camp at Oklahoma, let's say, we'll use them as as the example. And the reason they want to go to the Oklahoma camp this summer to be is because yes. that's their dream school where they want to go to school. And that same player is your you know eighth best player on your team. At some point in time, it's okay to have a at least a abstract conversation about, well, you know, Oklahoma probably only recruits like the very best players in the country. So if you're going there because, you know, you know, they're great coaches and you're going to have a great experience and you want to learn as much as you can, that's great. But if you're investing your money to go there so that they will recruit you, then we need to rethink that strategy a little bit. Now, but, but how exciting to get out on their field and right. to train in their facilities and, and yeah. if that's Right. value, right? right. Yeah. But we just have to make sure. And so from a coach's perspective, asking those questions, when your players start talking about where should I go for camp, start off with having Why that are conversation. We going to this Why one? are we going to this camp? Yeah. What, what are you trying to accomplish? And you know, the one thing that has been lost, I think, over the years, when I first started doing camps, the vast majority of kids went there because they wanted to just do softball stuff for a day. They wanted to learn yep. some new skills. They wanted to mess around with their friends. They wanted to you know, meet some college players, you know, they wanted to, you know, to yeah. do something that would get them ready for their upcoming season, whatever it was. It was much more of a, hey, softball's fun and I want to go learn some new stuff. It was a variety attitude. from regular practice. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it's morphed into the, it's going to get me recruited. And right. I think that's where we're kind of having this discussion again now is that somewhere in there is the reality. So, you know, if we are doing enough of it uh, and, and, and thinking about the I want to do it because it's fun. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to have a good experience. I'm going to get to hang out with like-minded people. Yep. That's one thing. If I'm going there thinking, you know, Patty Gasso is going to offer me a scholarship on the spot. Nope. Might not be the, quite the same <laughs> uh, logical approach. So, Aaron, hopefully that gives you some stuff to think about. As always, when we're looking for you know questions, if you have something that you're curious about, something you want Coach Don and I to talk about, make sure you reach out to us. The same email addresses we talk about for the player of the week. Everything fastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. We want to make sure we're talking about stuff that you're interested in. So, Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Pages Power Play. 
Hey guys, it's Paige here, um, your mindset coach. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what society expects your athlete to do and how to live. I was just thinking about how there's just so many pressures coming from all different angles when it comes to these girls and athletes and your athlete. And I kind of came up with a few things here. So I have seen that society expects your athlete to play club sports all year round, to choose one sport, to use social media for recruitment, to do all the lessons, to never take a break, to be so committed she doesn't get to be a kid, to go to a division one school or bust. Of course, maybe some of these like are feel more true to you and some of them maybe aren't as true to you, but these are some of the things that I've seen and I've noticed when working with the girls and working with athletes. And these couldn't be further from the truth. They're just thoughts, opinions, what others think we should do. And I'm over here doing air quotes around should. Something I have learned is, sure, these are all things that I could do, things that we could do, things that your daughter could do. But I don't have to do it that way. She doesn't have to do it that way. I can do it my own way. I went to a prestigious Division I school. I went to Northwestern University. I felt a lot of pressure to get a corporate job because that's what everyone else was doing. I tried, but I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like I was doing anything I was truly passionate about. So eventually I decided to create my own job, mentoring girl athletes, doing exactly what I'm doing today recording this message for you. And it didn't happen overnight. It, it took hard work and consistency. People were probably judging me. People still think it's just this little thing that I do, even though I create more income than most jobs have offered me, but it's the thing that lights me up. It makes me happy and I get to do it my way. And if I would have listened to what society thought I should do, I would never be doing what I do today, which is pretty freaking amazing. I think (laughs) I get to create a life that I want. I get to travel, spend time raising my son and hopefully more family to come. I get to create wealth. I get to change lives. I have to pinch myself sometimes. So if your daughter is feeling the pressures of doing what society thinks she should do, I'm going to be teaching strategies to stay true to herself and live a life that she dreams of. I'd love to see her there. Sign up your daughter for the workshop and she is going to walk away knowing she can be confident even when scrolling social media and comparison starts to to catch up with her. She will walk away knowing how to use social media as a helpful tool rather than a destructive tool. She will walk away knowing how to deal with the comparison on social media and in real life. She will walk away with knowing how to create a brand that she's proud of on social media. And she will walk away knowing how to create a healthy relationship with social media as well. So remember, it is Sunday, February 26th at 5 p.m. It's a Zoom call. The link will be provided when you sign up all by me. It's a live workshop. Um, it's $23. So if that this is something that you're like, oh my gosh, we need this. I love this sign her up for the workshop at my website, pagetons.com backslash social media. And remember, there will be a social media break challenge for your daughter there too. Let me know if you have any questions. I can't wait for the workshop 
and I will see you here soon. And as always, folks, take advantage of Paige's programs. The stuff that she is doing for the players that she works with, and she works with players across all sports, is top shelf. It is really valuable, really important stuff. It's going to help them be better players, have more fun, feel less pressure, and all that kind of good stuff. So now we're excited to have uh, Danielle Rubin with us again for this week's edition of the DR3 Fast Pitch Pitching Corner. So Anthony sent us a really good question about how to help pitchers when you have no pitching experience. Uh, He and his staff are baseball guys that uh, have played the game their whole lives and have a lot of experience with the bases and the hitting and the defense and all that kind of stuff, but very, very limited knowledge and understanding of uh, pitching mechanics and, and pitching strategies. And so they're looking for as much feedback and advice as we can give them to give them some tools that they can use to do a better job of working with their pitchers. So, Dee, what do you think? Well, Anthony, you're in luck. I have a course that is built just for you, and there's a discount code. If you use EFP, you can get a discount for it, but an introduction to pitching course. So I have that course on my website, Pitching 101. I also have Pitching 102, which is introduction to rotational pitching. And these courses are built not only for the players, but the parents and coaches as well to really help guide the girls. But working on your own, I mean, I do have some a free course that has a lot of rhythm drills. Um, that's a big thing to really help with beginner pitchers is building as much rhythm as possible because rhythm equals accuracy. There's a handful of drills on there, a lot of tips and tricks and really motivating the girls. The more you can teach them about having that one pitch approach mindset, taking a deep breath, teaching them about routines, like you don't need to know every single little thing about pitching. It's really trying to keep the girl in her positive mindset having her bring her notes with her. So I do this thing. If you check out my blog post, it's called a note card, pitching coach in a pocket. So all the girls who are working, whether they learn through my social media stuff, they work with me, whoever they work with, they put together this note card that they bring to them everywhere they go and they pull it out and they can make two copies of the note card. I actually had one when I was uh, getting recruited to Kennesaw State University. I made one and I kept that in my back pocket. I have it laminated all my tips and tricks. So when I felt like I needed a little bit more guidance, I needed a little bit like that coach who I was I didn't have with me at the time in my games, I pulled that out, I read it and it was my refresher. And that was a huge thing that really helped with me because not all my coaches knew what I was doing, knew what my mindset was. A handful of us girls on our team all worked with different instructors. So having that guidance. So Daniel, would that be like uh, shorten up on your drop ball or shorten your stride or... Any tips you know, and tricks, yeah. Lunge out or grip or any mm-hmm. of those types of things, right? So for me, like I had triangles on there and like just a simple triangle term reminded me that I had to get low in my stance and I had to really focus from the ground up. And it was summary things. So it's not a sentence. You don't want to be reading a novel on the mound or reading a novel in the dugout. It's just little tips and pointers of like release point, eye level. Men- quick and easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quick and easy. That's just fast and to the point. And there's a lot of, again, things on my website, my social media that you can kind of take um, and look through that. But it's really just encouraging them and keeping them going and knowing that us females, we feed off emotions. And so when you see their emotions kind of go down, let's pause, remove them from the situation and then come back to it. That's where you're going to see the most success with them. Well, one of the things that we talk about the idea of how do you help players when you don't have experience with the specific skill? And pitching is one of those things that has aggravated me for a very long time. And partly it's aggravated me because I started off in the exact same boat that uh, Anthony is in as a baseball guy that knew nothing about pitching, but was in charge of a high school program that had to figure out how to develop pitchers, you know, how to, you know, take kids that 
you know, walked across the street from the middle school with almost no knowledge or experience and try to make high school level, varsity level pitchers. Because of course, we're talking back in the dark days before there were <laughs> pitching instructors everywhere and, and online courses and things like that. The thing that I would tell, tell you, all our listeners, I learned how to, I learned all about pitching because I was forced to work my way up from zero knowledge to trying to do everything I could to become as knowledgeable as possible. My first college job, I got that job based on my knowledge and expertise as pitching instructor, teaching pitching more than anything else in the game. Um, had a player that I worked with, uh, Wendy Wolf, who uh, we've talked about on this uh, podcast many, many times. But Wendy had never thrown a pitch as a sophomore in high school right. and ended up being a All-American Division II pitcher two years later, three years later. And we had a very unique situation. So what, uh, to, to kind of make that all hopefully make sense for our listeners, I learned about pitching because Wendy didn't know anything about pitching either. And sure. so we would work on stuff together. She would try something and I would ask her a question. She would do something and I could tell by how she was reacting, the look on her face, the way she was moving, that's either it made sense or it didn't, or it was comfortable or it wasn't. You know, again, looking at a 10 and under roster, we're not expecting all these kids to be, you know, all American level kids. I'm sure our goal uh, for, for the typical team is, you know, throwing more strikes than balls and making sure that the you know defense gets to play softball because we're throwing enough strikes that the game actually happens. Make it happen, right? sure. And, but it also aggravates me because I think what a lot of us do is we just say, well, I don't understand pitching. And we just kind of close the door on it and just you know make it like it's somebody else's responsibility. Whatever happens, right? happens. You know, what Danielle was saying about, you know, being aware, having enough knowledge, you know, being able to read, you know, from the expression or the the body language or whatever that, you know, a player is tense or frustrated or angry or whatever it is, you know, some of those most fundamental things can go a long way towards helping you help your pitchers have a little bit more success, especially, you know, the whole mechanical intricacies thing of, you know, that, that we're talking about. Something my grandfather said when I was a kid, if it looks stupid, it probably is. Mm -hmm. So if you're working with a 10 and under pitcher and she's doing something that looks really, really uncomfortable, really, really awkward, Chances are it's probably not very mechanically sound. So even if you don't know much about pitching, you certainly know that what she's doing right now looks like it hurts her every time she does it. So maybe that's not a, a good strategy to keep using moving forward. There's absolutes with pitching and then there's styles. And when it comes to the absolutes, it's that's where I feel like every girl and every coach needs to understand those just so they can help guide them. Now, every instructor might have their own verbiage, their own terminology. They might be wording things a little different, but they're still trying to get to that common goal. And it's just letting those girls know like, hey, I know my language might be different, but how does your coach say it? Okay, this is what your coach says. This is how I am interpreting it. And this is how like we're going to work on it together. And it's just all about collaboration. And I feel like I have most success with my pitchers whose travel ball coaches are open to talk to me. If they're not open to talk to me, it's really tough because they're saying one thing, I'm teaching them another. And these poor little young girls are going through circles of like, I don't know how to bring my practice into play because it's just not allowing it to happen. And so I encourage travel ball coaches to reach out to the instructors, take 10, 15 minutes out of your day and once a month and just kind of catch up with them of like, hey, what have you been working on? What are some tendencies that you see? What are some languages, some key terms that I can use with my girl? They might be saying the exact same thing, just with different verbiage mm -hmm. or language, right? And it's all about communication. Keeping that communication all together can really make things flow. But I do mental trainings. A lot of the times when I do mental trainings with parents is because they're trying to understand how to approach a coach on situations like this. And I, I do them with coaches as well. And it's kind of like, how do we set those boundaries for parents not telling us what to do? 
but also for parents to get the point across to these coaches of like, hey, I'm paying all this money for these lessons. This is a credible person I'm learning from, blah, blah, blah. How can we all work together? Because that's the hardest thing with internal rotation. It's still very new in the pitching world and getting these coaches who don't know anything about internal rotation. A lot of my parents, they have it trouble with that communication aspect of like, hey, you're over here changing X, Y, Z, but I'm spending all this money this time. And she's made this progress from point A to point B in two months. Go talk to Danielle. Let's have a phone conversation. And then some coaches are open to it and some are not. But I just really encourage you, like I will pick up the phone whenever to talk to anybody to kind of help guide through this process because we're all here together. And if we're in this career, if we're, if we're doing this, volunteering our time, doing this for a full-time job, I mean, we love it. So if we love it, we need to put everything, all hands on deck to help these girls get to where they need to be. I was going to say, and it is just a, a few minutes, like you said, maybe it's at the end of uh, their pitching workout. If you show up and, and chat and talk a little bit so you can actually see the things that we're going to try and describe or to help them get through on their tough days, then uh, I think that'll be golden for the season. Right. Yeah. And so just kind of wrap this up for Anthony. So the good news is, I think, the fact that they're interested enough that they're asking this question and they're right. trying to fill in the blanks as much as they can is, is a positive thing. It's something that their team should be pretty excited about because there's an awful lot of coaches that I don't think would be going to not the, into it. Yeah, yeah. the uh, necessary lengths. And obviously with players this age, a 10 and under team, uh, my guess is that they're probably trying to find pitchers just to, you know, that not everybody on the roster is already decided that they really want to be a pitcher. They're probably trying out uh, different kids in different situations. And so I think that if we're being proactive, if we're looking for different resources, if we're trying to gain as much knowledge as we possibly can, and then count on your just basic understanding of coaching kids to help you sort through it. You know, some things work great with one player that don't work well with another, you know, just like you would be, you know, helping a shortstop, you know, three different players trying out for shortstop would all be doing some things a little bit differently. Your three different pitchers might all be doing some different things a little bit differently. But again, having enough of a knowledge base, you know, spending enough time and energy on it to be able to see those absolutes and take care of uh, the most fundamental pieces as much as we possibly can. And then making sure that the kids have fun with it. Because if they're out there miserable trying to be a pitcher at 10 and under, not going to last long. We, we got a serious, yeah. serious problem on the horizon. And so, but the flip side of it is the other kids aren't going to have any fun either if you can't find some kids that can throw some strikes. Sure. So it's, a, it's definitely a balancing answer. Anthony, thank you very much for the question. Um, as always, if you have a question specific for Danielle for pitching, uh, stuff that uh, Coach Don and I might not necessarily have the same level of expertise, make sure you let us know. Reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com with uh, questions for Danielle, and we'll include those in our weekly ER3 Fast Pitch Pitching Corner. That was a fun discussion. I'm glad we had a chance to get into that. No, it's always good when we get Danielle in here and uh, she gives us a good perspective of uh, a player's view. Yeah, and uh, and definitely somebody that's uh, in the trenches working on pitching stuff uh, on All a daily time. basis. So yep. that's a good thing. Yep. So, all right, Don, so that's going to take us to our leadoff topic. Leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite's located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. The phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com anything you need bats balls gloves uniforms spirit wear the whole nine yards they're happy to ship anywhere in the united states so now one of the things that we talk about a lot is recruiting stuff obviously we talked about camps just a second ago sure uh, we were talking about the, the importance of recruiting uh and camps in in that process but something that i wanted us to talk about today i saw this idea 
Um, and we've talked about it a little bit is, is players having like a scorecard, like a checklist of things that they're paying attention to, that they're looking for um, when they're starting to evaluate schools that they might be interested in attending. It's a total must. Yeah. To my way of thinking, having that checklist, having that scorecard, so to speak, is a really important thing because once you put together your list of things that are important to you, as you make your way through the process and you're visiting different schools, you start to see some things that either make a school more attractive and a better fit for you, or maybe some things that make that school less attractive and, and someplace that maybe you should steer clear from. But here's one that I took off the internet that just kind of give you a quick little idea of some of the stuff that people can be um, thinking you know, paying about. attention to. Yeah. So just, you know, the college acceptance and eligibility requirements, you know, how, uh, you know, that also ties into a coach's expectations for academics and eligibility. The location is obviously a big thing, you know, the climate, whether it's a city or a country school, whether it's a big urban area or, you know, somewhere out in the sticks, you know, how hard it is to get to that school if you decide that's where you want to go, things like that. Other things are like the on-campus facilities, you know, how do you, the dorms, the housing, the rec center, those kinds of things. The support services, whether you have training staff and tutoring and those kinds of things. Fit between softball and the school itself. You know, are you going to be able to study the, you know, the major you want to study and and be successful and and still fit that in with everything else that's going on? You know, the campus life. You know, whether you're interested in sororities and you know the, those kinds of things or clubs or life away from softball, away from school. What the, you know, is it a big football school wherever six Saturdays a year, or seven Saturdays a year, mm -hmm. the biggest thing in town. You know what the community is like. You know if you're spent your whole life is it living a college town, yeah, or if you, if you yeah. spent your whole life living in some big giant city, you know how comfortable will you be going to some small, Might be rural, too little low pace location? You know, campus safety is another one, and mm -hmm. and just a bunch of other things. Now, obviously, obviously, every player is going to have a different list. Graduation rates, right? And, yeah, and and every parent's going to have a different list. But the most important thing we want to make sure that we're talking about is that if you don't know what you're looking for. You're never going to know if you found it. And if you don't know how important some of these things are for you, when you start looking at different schools, it's going to be overwhelming. The thing I noticed when working with the recruits is whatever school they visited last is the one that's freshest in their mind and sure. the one that they like the most they're because they know the most of it. They're comparing to it yeah. most. So right. yep. when, when they would come to visit us, it would be kind of, you know, comparing us to them, you know, and, and trying to show as time would unfold over the course of a visit, you know, that uh, what we had to offer, what we were doing, you know, how it was similar, how it was different, those kinds of things. And they were always kind of comparing and contrasting. But the reason it can be so challenging is uh, some players will look at six, eight, ten different schools. And if you visited one school in the spring, I was going to say timing and, and to then, get to all these schools isn't going to be and, and then one six behind months, another. Yeah, six months later, you're visiting school number seven. Well, how much do you even remember from that visit to school number one, right? And so having a way to keep track of that and to make sure that you're, uh, I guess, comparing apples to apples as you visit different schools is a pretty important idea to me. No, I think that's uh, just a fantastic concept, Tori. And anytime that we're at those schools, that we're in such awe because we're looking at all these things and we can kind of lose track and forget about some of the pieces that might be important to us we've got it written down on a list, then then we can go down there and, and check those things off or ask those questions when we're there. And, uh, you know, as time goes, if you find a, a setting or a scenario that you think is, you know, perfect for me, they might not need me athletically there. But if someone, uh, you know, invites me to another school, 
And and I know that that setting is is perfect for me. If they don't hit some of those checklists, I might pass and and go visit another school instead of that one. Right. Um, down the road, and just like you said, it would be wonderful if we could just spend two weeks going to fourteen different schools. Right. But it doesn't work that way. No. It's it's hey, we've got a weekend here. We've got a half a day before a tournament there, and it's close enough that we can get to it. You know, so we have to work hard to get a chance to see all those schools. And we talk about finding the perfect fit. I mean, that doesn't just happen that quickly. So right. so we've got to be mindful of this stuff before our junior year, before our senior year. We need to be looking at these things, you know, either on the way to tournaments when we're a sophomore or, you know, on the holidays and things like that. We've got to try and build in some time to find out what, what the perfect school is because there's nothing worse than committing somewhere and going, well, I wonder what if, or right. I wonder what about that. Being able to look back at a, a note card or a, you know, a checklist or whatever and refreshing your memory about what you saw at a school, I think is a really cool thing. Um, you know, we've always talked about in our recruiting seminars, which uh, if anybody's interested, you can find on our YouTube channel. Um, one of the things we talk about is finding the right school, picking the right school. And we talk about in there having a list, which kind of goes in this line along the lines of this checklist idea. So what I would like for teams to start to do and for coaches to start to do is Start to create something like this list of stuff that you know is important stuff and sharing it with your team. It's not up to you to decide what is the most important thing for your player, but you know, just give your you know, give your player a, a piece of paper that's got, you know, fifteen or twenty things that you've thought about over time that are, you know, factors that people are considering, that people have considered in the past, and then let them kind of use that as a, a guideline. You can build onto to, it. Yeah, right? to, to sort through it and build on it. So you know, if Don and I are both going on visits this year, you know, for him, it might be the, you know, location might be number one on his list. For me, the class size might be number one on mine. You know, whether I can start as a freshman might be number one on my list. And, you know, for, for Don, it might be something different. Everybody's list is going to be different. But if we don't have a way of knowing what we're looking for and being able to compare and contrast, this whole thing's going to get really overwhelming. You never know when you find the right one, right? Right. You're not, yeah. Yeah. And just like anything else, it's important. You know, I think that most of us, you know, the idea that uh, well, I, as soon as I stepped on that campus, I knew I was in love. I knew that was the place for me. That happens in some situations for some players. But I also think that the players that have that reaction that don't necessarily do the work to determine for sure whether it's still the best fit for them. A lot of those kids end up being really disappointed on the road. Right. You know, having a checklist, having a list of things that you're important that are important to you is going to help you make sense out of this whole thing. You know, one of the things we you know we spend a lot of time talking about recruiting because so many of the people who listen are starting to dip their toe into that arena. That you know they have players that are interested in playing in college. And so it's important, you know, for us to share as much knowledge and information as we can. Um, and I alluded to it before, you know, the YouTube channel, if you look at the recruiting videos that we did a couple of years ago, there's a lot of useful information in there, which I think will help people make sense out of a lot of this stuff. And so I think that's a great place to start. But coaches and parents, we need to do a good job of helping our players sort through this process, making sense out of all of it. Because if we don't help them, if we're part of the problem instead of part of the solution, we can't be shocked later on when they're unhappy at the school they choose. And Tori, too, the the YouTube video is, uh, I think, really helpful in terms of making you a more uh, desirable recruit in general, right? Right. Not just about the choice of schools, but about walking, talking, acting, doing things the right way to to be recruitable, right? And so the college visit checklist, I think it's something that every player should have, every team should be creating, and every coach should be looking at ways to 
you know, have that as a tool in the toolbox to help your players make good choices when it comes time for them to pick the school that they might want to play college softball That's at. a great topic, Tori, yeah. All right, so our cleanup topic, Don, this week is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. And again, make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount. You can save 10% on your order, and it helps support everything fast pitch at the same time. You know, Coach Don and I both love the Pinnacle products. It's something that is definitely going to be a pick-me-up and an energy booster for you if you're out at the ballpark or really any place that you need it. you got to get them and try them, yeah. So, Don, I saw a Facebook post the other day. It was shared by Coach Tom Rupert, who I've known for, for many, many years. Uh, I don't know that he authored it or not. But basically, the idea was that helping players as they're trying to decide where they want to continue their college career. And you know, we spent a little bit of time already today talking about recruiting. We're going to pile on that idea. There you go. That one of the things that I think, unfortunately, is happening is that too many players are kind of majoring in softball. They're allowing softball to be number one key. And, yeah. and absolute and most important thing on their list. And don't get me wrong, for a lot of players, softball is pretty darn important. And I respect that. You know, I understand it. Um, but one of the things that we want to make sure that uh, all of our players are making themselves aware of is that there's a lot of reasons why, a lot of ways that softball can be really a beautiful thing, or it can be kind of detrimental in some cases for players in their long-term academic success because they get a little bit sidetracked. Um, I'm just going to read this post really quickly just because I think it's worthwhile to kind of give it some context. And again, uh, Tom shared it, written by Lex Hall. So I want to give credit to Lex Hall is the, is the author. So do not major in softball. As much as we do not want to admit it, softball does not last forever. For most, softball ends after your four years in high school. For the blessed 2% that make it to the next level, softball ends after you play your final game as a collegiate athlete. And even for the few that play after college, softball ends too. Do not major in softball. Now, what does that mean? Athletes do not pick an easy major or a made-up major just so you can be eligible with all your focus on playing ball. There is a world out there that does not evolve around this game, a real world where we must work 9 to 5 and find a way to pay rent and, and pay our bills. An employer is not going to hire you because you played softball, so take your education seriously. If a school says that you cannot major in something because it takes away too much time from the softball program, then find another school. Find a coaching staff that supports your dream after ball. Softball does not last forever, but your education will follow you forever. And I think that that kind of sums up this idea. And one of the things that, in a lot of ways, used to be something that I felt was kind of a recruiting advantage for us because even though uh coaching at a school like tennessee tech which was a very demanding school academically lots of labs um, and things yeah, yeah. We, we were able to get some really high quality softball players because they knew we would allow them to and encourage them to be in engineering to be in the pre-med programs you know to be in uh, the sciences that had a lot of labs and stuff like that because we were focusing on 
the 40 years after the four years of softball. And now that didn't mean that softball was unimportant because it was very important. It was something that we took very, very seriously, something that we had, you know, tried to have as strong a program as we possibly could. But I think one of the things that helped us have some success was the fact that we were attractive to certain kinds of players because they knew that they weren't going to have constant battle because they be wanted an obstacle. to right yeah. they, they want but now I've I've seen the opposite of that happen a, a player I'm very familiar with that I was recruiting when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech as a matter of fact well ended up being recruited to a very powerful top 10 type of program and while she was being recruited she kept being told that she could study whatever she wanted you know she was such an amazing student such an amazing player that they would work with whatever she they needed to do to, to allow to her to it do happen. it. Yeah. Right before school started, after she had signed her scholarship paperwork, you know, heading into that summer before the first fall on campus, she had a meeting with her academic advisor. And her academic advisor basically you know, laid out for her, so you think you're better than all these other softball kids that are taking sociology general or general, general ed or yeah. you know, whatever the other uh, less challenging than what she wanted to do majors might be. And she basically got leveraged into agreeing to a degree in something that she was not even really interested in because, because softball was softball right. schedule. Yeah. And that is unfortunately something that is, you know, happening at certain schools. Now, full explanation, I understand why it is that way at some schools. I think it's sad that it is that way at some schools. But if I'm a softball coach at a big time powerhouse school that I know winning and losing is going to be the difference between me keeping my job or not keeping my job. Having all the players at practice every day is better for my job security. Well, it's tough to justify starting somebody that's in labs during two of your three or four practices that week. Right. right? I mean, that's a challenge in itself. Yeah. And so I think that that's kind of where this whole discussion goes sideways, right? So you have coaches that are highly motivated to figure out what they can do to win. You have players that know that eventually their softball career is going to be over so they want to you know study something that's going to set them up for a career for a life after softball where they can have you know the financial security and the success that they want to have in their real life and in certain cases there's going to be an opportunity where those two are going to butt heads and so you know the idea of majoring in softball or really in any sport versus picking a school where you can study what you want to study major in what you want to major in have the uh, academic support and the Stuff that you need to be really successful in the classroom, I think, is a very important thing to always be considering. And to credit this Facebook post, you know, I think it summed it up very, very accurately because we all know somebody that got leveraged out of what they wanted to study because softball was going to be so important to that school. There's no doubt, Tori, and, and I've heard nightmare stories too about I couldn't take this lab because it overlapped with practice and I couldn't do this because it was going to you know, upset the the road trips and, and all these types of things. And you kind of don't know what you don't know. And you might be the oldest in your family and haven't, you know, had to work around this with anyone, any siblings or anything. But when you've played softball and that's kind of been your thing, that's your whole life. And you don't understand the, the 40 years after the four in college. And you make some sacrifices that, that might hinder you down the road and just beware and, and kind of heed warning and, and listen to posts like this about uh, asking those questions of the coaches that you're considering going to play for. Right. And you should be able to get a feel for what their uh, priority is. Right. And if their priority sounds to be like, you know, they, they get it, 
then that's a lot of fun. But, you know, if they're dancing around that whole concept, then uh, then you might be in a situation where you're going to end up in school longer than you need to be. Right. And, to, uh, to get it done. And, and potentially... Steered to a different, in, in, right? In a in a, a dead end direction. kind of a situation. So, yeah. and you know, just to kind of put this in perspective, you know, when we when we've done the uh, recruiting seminars in the past, you know, this is one of those things that a lot of times, you know, having parents in the room with players, you know, talking about when you would flat out say, you know, there are certain schools that are not going to allow you to study engineering. They're not going to allow you to be in a a lab science class. Number of parents who had no idea that that could even happen. They're like, well, what do you mean? You know, that that is she it, can't. Be, uh, there's only one of those classes offered and it's right. Yeah. And, and like, well, then my daughter's never going to go to that school. So I would always turn around and say, so what's, you know, what's your daughter's dream school? Mom or dad or whoever would say, you know, school X. And I say, well, what if school X says, here's a full scholarship to come to our school, but you've got to study this instead. What are you going to do then? Well, uh, that's different. Like, well, but it shouldn't be right. You know, the idea that it does, it is something that is happening. It happens consistently now in, in the athletic world. You know, it's certainly not just softball. There's plenty of sports that have that same, you know, kind of uh, requirement. But, you know, if a, if a football player has a chance to go to the NFL and make millions or a basketball player has a chance to go to the NBA and make millions, that's maybe a slightly different picture than a softball player who, if she plays professionally, will make hundreds or thousands and only be able to definitely not be setting themselves up for life, you know, because they had a, a the, professional career. The education becomes a much bigger priority on our list. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we talked about the checklist earlier, but, you know, the number one for me would be, you know, can I have the balance between academic life and athletic life, which is, can I be on the team that I want to be on? Can I be as dedicated to softball as I want to be and still be able to do what I need to do and want to do academically to have the career and the life that I want to have afterwards? And unfortunately, those two things do not go hand in hand. So the whole idea of majoring in softball is happening more often than not. And I think it's unfortunate. Now, I'm, I'm hopeful that by having these kinds of conversations, again, it's up to everybody to decide what you know they want. And if somebody chooses a school and you know, goes into it knowing, well, that means I'm not going to, you know, get to be in, you know, pre-med or nursing or engineering or whatever it might be. Those are the sacrifices that might be going along with it. That's up to them. And it's not to say that it's wrong if somebody does that, but it is short-sighted as far as the rest of your life after you're done playing softball. Well, and too, you know, we've talked and probably on the recruiting video as well about picking a school for the academics rather than, and then you know, if the softball fits, that's great too, because softball can go away. Right. You know, that's not, that's not a forever, forever thing. And that's not a guarantee even, you know, throughout those four years. Right. Well, and, so. and that's kind of the point too, I guess, in this whole discussion is that it's definitely going to go away. It's just, when's it going away? Right. Is it going away after your high school career, after your college career, um, or somewhere during those four years, years that, uh, yeah. you know, that, that could something could happen. Injury or any of the right. above. So just kind of keeping it all in perspective, you know, making sure, you know, we would always talk about, you know, the 40 years of your life after your softball career is done. And if we're sacrificing one for the other, we've got to make sure we're going into it eyes wide open, knowing for sure that that's what we're doing. If we're going into it thinking that somehow it won't be me or somehow it's not going to happen to me, my daughter won't have to make those choices. We, um, we'd have to make sure that we're thinking about it from a different perspective. We talked about a list earlier, right, Tori? This yeah. needs to be <laughs> part of our list. Yeah. Well, is, yeah, is this a school that's going to help me? Right. Yep. With with my other dreams. Yeah, and that's you know what what I said before. To me, it was always number one should be if I was going to write a list for every player that wants to play 
in college is the balance between academics and athletics. You have to be able to do both the way you want to do them. If you can't do both the way you want to do them, then something's going to be out of balance. And short-term, long-term, you know, there's always, you know, every choice you make has, you know, an upside and a downside to it. So um, if you're choosing to major in softball, there's going to be a downside eventually. Just when does that bill come due and, and what does it really mean? Obviously, you know, we, we want everybody to, to go into this situation with their eyes wide open, making good decisions is something that's going to set them up to be as successful as they possibly can be. No, it's a great thing to talk about, Tori. And uh, again, just making everybody aware, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Don, that's going to take us into this week's Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. Hello, I'm John Davis of Action Coach Business Coaching. We work with business owners to build a business that supports their dreams. We do this by working on strategies, tactics, timing, and mindset. It is important to do the right thing at the right time for your business. While the fundamentals are the same for all businesses, the execution can vary, and that's where the coaching comes in. This week, I'd like to talk about negotiation. Whether we like it or not, we must be able to negotiate. Many people dislike the conflict involved in negotiation, or feel like they're always as a loser in any negotiation. When this is the mindset, it's true we can only lose. Unless, of course, we have the power to get anything that we require, which seldom occurs. Instead, we should see negotiations as a a discovery process to understand what's valuable to each player in the discussion. With the right approach and techniques, we can all get better. Here I'd like to share seven techniques to be a better negotiator. Most of these are borrowed from Chris Foss's book, Never Split the Difference, and some others which I've picked up along the way. Number one, be a mirror. By making it your sole purpose in the early stages to truly understand the other individual's requirements and then repeat them back in a very reasonable tone, your counterpart will begin to trust that you understand their position. One way to do this if you can't understand completely, is to believe that at least 10% of their opinion must be right. From here, you can start looking for some deeper understanding through more discussion. Number two, label the pain. Clarify their situation in reasonable terms can help diffuse the emotion. Once you can get past the emotion and you can clarify the situation, you can start to dig into the facts. Along the way, you go into step three, which is listen for the two magic words. Those magic words are, that's right. When you hear those words from the other individual in your negotiation, you know that you're starting to get close to clearly understanding what it is that they're trying to persuade you to to convert to. At this point, you're now partners moving forward to your final resolution. Along the way, you may come across number four which is using how to guarantee that execution. If you can use consistent phrasing like, how can we resolve this? Or how do you expect me to execute that? Or how can I explain this to my boss or my partners? It puts the other person in the position of a feeling of control and also has them putting their resolution in their terms. When you get to a resolution that you can agree to, then you know that you you have resolved your negotiation. Another key step along the way is number five, find the black swan. The black swan is usually, this is the, the key item that they're trying to protect that is most critical to them. 
And the best way to realize that you're in an area with a black swan is when the requests seem very, very far out of line. If they seem to be unreasonable requests, there must be something they're trying to protect or is very, very emotional for them. Digging for the black swan will help you understand where the power is in the negotiation. Another tip along the way, number six, don't end with a no. When a proposal is responded to with a no, then follow counter that with why not, or under what conditions could that be true. This allows the discovery process to continue as opposed to seeking a premature termination. And finally, number seven, be the one to seal the deal. When you reach your agreement, your verbal agreement, be the one to own the documentation and do it right away. The sooner you do it, the less likelihood there is for drift from the verbal agreement to the written agreement. And also, you get to determine the phrasing and terminology that are used to be sure that it matches exactly what you want. If you aren't the one to take ownership to seal the deal, the other person may drag their feet, the resolution may shift, or they may use some terminology that you're not in agreement with. So, if you want to learn about this topic and others, I have a group program for business owners called Profit Levers Group Coaching. We meet online Mondays from 3 to 4 Eastern. If you'd like to receive an invitation, you can just send me an email at johndavis at actioncoach.com because now is a great time to get into action. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode number 255. As always, please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Bittinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Butter, and Action Coach. As always, please go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. If you can, become a patron. Coach Don and I really do need the support. We would love for you to check out the uh, patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch and get signed up. Go to fastpitchprep.com. Check out the uh, Square Cuts training discs. They're $49.95 a dozen. You also have the YouTube channel and our blog posts. There's over 700 blogs with tons of information you can look back on. And then also uh, reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com with questions, comments, suggestions, and Player of the Week nominations. So for Coach Don McKinley, Coach Danielle Rubin, our producer Stan Lewis, this is Coach Torrey saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.